Bug Jargal by Victor Hugo, Chapter 52 The Negroes stopped at this terrible spot, and I knew that I was going to die. It was in this abyss, then, that was to be sunk all my hopes in this world. The image of the happiness which but a few hours before I had voluntarily renounced brought to my heart a feeling of regret, almost one of remorse. All prayers were unworthy of me. An expression of regret escaped me, however. Friends, said I to the Negroes who surrounded me, do you know that it is a sad thing to die at twenty years of age when one is full of life and strength, when one is loved by one whom in your turn you adore, and you leave behind you eyes that will weep until they are closed forever? A horrible burst of laughter hailed my expression of regret. It came from the little Obi. This species of evil spirit, this impenetrable being, approached me roughly. Ha! You regret life, then. Labado sea Dios. My only fear was that death would have no terrors for you. It was the same voice, the same laugh, that had so often before baffled my conjectures. Wretch! exclaimed I. Who are you, then? You are going to learn, replied he, with a terrible accent. Then, thrusting aside the silver sun that concealed his brown chest, Look! I leaned toward him. Two names were written in whitish letters on the hairy chest of the obi, showing but too clearly the hideous and ineffaceable brand of the heated iron put on the chests of slaves. One of these names was Effingham. The other was that of my uncle and myself, Dauverny. I was struck dumb with surprise. "'Well, Leopold d'Auverny,' asked the Obi, "'does not your name tell you mine?' "'No,' answered I, astonished to hear the man name me, and seeking to recall him to my mind. "'These two names were only to be found thus united upon the chest of a fool. But he is dead, the poor dwarf, and besides, he was devotedly attached to us. "'You cannot be Habibra.' "'The same!' shrieked he, and casting aside the blood-stained Gorus, he undid his veil. The deformed face of the household dwarf was before my eyes, but a threatening and sinister expression had usurped the half-imbecile smile which was formerly eternally imprinted on his features. "'Great God!' exclaimed I, overwhelmed with surprise. "'Do all the dead, then, come back to life? It is Habibra!' my uncle's fool. The dwarf put his hand on his dagger and said hoarsely, his fool and his murderer. I recoiled in horror. His murderer, villain, was it thus that you repaid him his kindness? He interrupted me. His kindness? Say his outrages. What? I again cried. Was it you, villain, who struck the fatal blow? It was he replied, with a terrible expression. I plunged my knife so deeply into his heart that he had hardly time to cast aside sleep before death claimed him. He cried out feebly, Come to me, Habibra. I was with him. The cold-blooded manner in which he narrated the murder disgusted me. Wretch, 
cowardly assassin. You forgot then all his kindness that you ate near his table and slept at the foot of his bed. Like a dog, interrupted Habibra roughly. Come, I remembered too much of what you call his kindness, but which I looked upon as insults. I took vengeance upon him, and I am going to take vengeance on you. Listen, do you think that because I am a mulatto, a deformed dwarf, that I am not a man? Ah, I have a soul stronger, deeper, and bolder than the one that I am about to set free from your girlish frame. I was given to your uncle as if I had been a pet monkey. I served his pleasures, I amused him, whilst he despised me. He loved me, do you say? I had a place in his heart. Yes, between his ape and his parrot. I found a better place there with my dagger. I shuddered. Yes, continued the dwarf. It was I. It is I. Look me in the face, Leopold Dauverny. You have often laughed at me. Now you shall tremble. Ah, you recall the honest predilection of your uncle for him whom he called his fool. What predilection, bon Dieu? If I entered the room, a thousand shouts of contemptuous laughter greeted me. My appearance, my deformities, my features, my ridiculous costume, all the deplorable infirmities of my nature furnished food for laughter to your accursed uncle and his accursed friends. I could not remain silent. It was necessary. It was necessary for me to join in the laughter which I provoked. I foam with rage whilst I think of it. Answer me. Do you think that after such humiliations I could feel anything but the deadliest hatred for the creature that inflicted them upon me? Do you not think that they were a thousand times harder to endure than the toil in the burning sun, the fetters, and the whip of the driver, which were the lot of the other slaves? Do you not think that they would cause ardent, implacable, and eternal hatred to spring up in the heart of a man as lasting as the accursed brand which degrades my chest? Oh, after having suffered so long, that my vengeance should be so short— why could I not make my tyrant suffer all the torments which I have endured for so many years? Why could he not, before his death, know the bitterness of wounded pride, and feel what burning traces tears of shame leave upon a face condemned to wear a perpetual smile? Alas, it is too hard to have waited so long for the hour of vengeance, and then only to find it in a dagger thrust." Had he but only known the hand that struck him, it would have been something. But I was too eager to hear his dying groan. I drove in the knife too quickly. He died without having recognized me, and my eagerness balked my vengeance. This time, at least, it should be more complete. You see me, do you not? You may be unable to recognize me in my character— you have always been in the habit of seeing me laughing and joyous. But now nothing prevents me from letting my true nature appear in my eyes. I do not resemble my former self. You only knew my mask. Look upon my real face. It was horrible. Monster, exclaimed I. You deceive yourself. There is still something of buffoonery in the atrocity of your face and heart. "'Do not speak of atrocity,' 
retorted Habibra. Think of your uncle. Wretch, returned I indignantly. If he was cruel, it was at your instigation. You, to pretend to pity the position of the poor slaves. Why, then, did you not exert all your influence to make their master treat them less harshly? Why did you never intercede in their favor? I would not have done so for the world. I, hinder a white man from blackening his soul by an act of cruelty? No, no, I urged him to inflict more and more punishment upon his slaves, so as to hurry on the revolt, so that the excessive oppression would at last bring vengeance. In seeming to injure my brethren, I was serving them. I was confounded at such a cunning act of diplomacy. Well, continued the dwarf, do you believe now that I knew how to conceive and to execute? What do you still think of Habibra, the buffoon? What do you think of your uncle's fool? Finish what you have begun so well, replied I. Let me die, but do not delay. He commenced to walk up and down the platform, rubbing his hands. And suppose I wish for delay. Suppose that it does my heart good to watch you in the agonies of suspense. You see, Biasu owed me my share in the last plunder. When I saw you in the camp of the Negroes, I asked for your life. He granted it willingly, and now you are mine. I am amusing myself with you. Soon you will follow the stream of the cataract into the abyss. Be calm. But before doing so, let me tell you that I have discovered the spot where your wife is concealed. And it was I that advised Biasu to set the forest on fire. And the work, I imagine, is already begun. Thus, your family will be swept from the face of the earth. Your uncle perished by steel, you will perish by water, and your Marie by fire. Villain! Villain! I exclaimed, and I made an effort to throw myself on him. He turned to the Negroes. Come, bind him, cried he. He precipitates his hour. Then, in silence, the Negroes commenced to bind me with the cords that they had carried with them. Suddenly, I fancied that I heard the distant barking of a dog, but this sound might be only an illusion caused by the noise of the cascade. The Negroes had finished binding me, and placed me on the brink of the abyss which was to devour me. The dwarf, folding his arms, gazed at me with a sinister expression of joy. I lifted my eyes to the opening in the roof so as to avoid the triumphant expression of malice painted on his countenance, and to take one last look at the blue sky. At that instant, the barking was stronger, more distinctly heard. The enormous head of Rask appeared at the opening. I trembled. The dwarf exclaimed, Hurry! The Negroes, who had not heard the barking, prepared to throw me into the abyss.